Elevate Miami Church. We want to welcome all of you that are here. We bless you. We want to welcome everyone that's watching by live stream. And we are coming at you live from uh, Miami, Florida. Aren't you glad? Beautiful, sunny Miami. And we're doing a series on hot mess. Anybody ever had a hot mess? Right? The, the world is in a hot mess right now. It's a hot mess. And this hot mess, it's like, would somebody please clean this mess up? And it just keeps going on and on and on and on. It's like the never-ending song. It never ends. It just keeps going. This isn't even a, a song. It's more like a nightmare for a lot of people. And uh, we believe God has a word in this hour. He has encouragement in this hour. For his, it's not, the Lord is never not speaking. He always has a word. And his word is always hope. And so we want to encourage you with hope. We want to bless you with hope. And uh, God's promises in his word are to turn our captivity. The Bible promises not just his people, but anyone that will look to him. God will turn your captivity. He will turn your season if you look to him. And this word captivity is a Hebrew word called Shaboth. And it means to be captive, to be controlled, to un- it means circumstances, and it means fortunes. So when God is saying, I'm going to turn your captivity, he's saying, I'm going to change your circumstances. He's, gonna, he's saying, I'm going to break off of you the thing that is controlling you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you with your fortunes. I'm going to turn your captivity. I'm going to turn what's controlling you. I'm going to turn your fortunes. That's, a good new, that's good news, right? God will help you. He helps the helpless. He's an ever-present help in time of need. He not only tells you he's going to turn your captivity, he tells you he's going to bless you in the process. Did you know that? God said, if you will turn to me and you will look to me and you will listen to me, I will turn this season of your life. I will turn these circumstances and I will bless you in, in that process. I don't know if you know that, but anybody, I don't know anybody that makes that kind of an offer. God is good. And so in this hour and in this time, we should, as believers, what is God looking for us as believers to do? He's not looking for us to look to the media. The media has no answer. (laughs) It's a depressing scenario to watch what the news has to say. That we don't look to the market. We don't even look to governments. We need to pray for our governments that our government, God would give wisdom to our government and God would give unity to our government so where that they would be the instrument that God would use in this hour to turn the nation from this despair. We should not be divided. We should be united. And there's division within our government and we need to pray for unity there. Unity, wisdom, wisdom on behalf of our leaders that God would give wisdom and unity. They would just have a revelation. We've never gotten along before, but all of a sudden, hey, I think it's time we get along. And that selfish agendas would be set to the, to the side. God will turn the hour if we will turn to him. God will turn not just the hour of our nation. He will turn the hour of the individual. God will turn the hour of the, of the church if we will look to him. He promises. He promises You say, well, how can we be sure he's going to do it? Because he said so. This is the essence of faith. Have I not said it? Will I not do it? Faith, say this with me. Faith is believing in and trusting in the promises of God. Believing in and trusting in the promises of God. Faith is something that says you believe it so much that you're actually going to act. That's faith. With James says, you show me your faith by my word, by your words. I show you my faith by my deeds. Faith is demonstrated through action. 
God will turn his season. He will turn the nation. He will turn your fortunes. This has the capacity to catapult the Christian. This has the capacity to catapult the believer. This has the capacity to catapult what, G, what the devil tries to destroy us with. If we will look to God, God is the master of momentum shifts. If we will look to him, he will shift the momentum. Stop yielding and looking and trying to figure it all out on your own and begin to look to the Lord. It's work. It's definitely work. <laughs> we have to work our faith. The Bible says work out your salvation. Work out the essence of what he's given to you. We have to work that out. It's effort. We fight a good fight. We fight the fight of faith. Faith's a fight. It's a fight to believe when there's no reason to believe. That's a fight. It's a fight to have hope when everything seems hopeless. It's a fight. But it's a good fight because if you fight it in Jesus, you win. You win. We just read in Revelation chapter 1. We were just reading it before we started the service here. Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. Which means I'm the final answer. I'm he who was, who is, and is to come. No, and It's not over because Jesus is the end. I'm the beginning and the end. It's not over until I say it's over. And if you're a believer out there, I would tell you this. It's not over until Jesus says it's over. And Jesus never says it's over until you win. And that's good news. And if you're not a believer and you're just looking for hope in this hour, there is hope in the Lord. Jesus says, all who come to me, I will in no way turn out. He's not going to turn you away. If you just come to him and believe, come to him. He says, I am meek and lowly of heart. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He's not going to put some heavy on you. He's going to help you. Call on Jesus. Don't call on Buddha, man. Don't call on Dr. Phil. Don't call on Oprah. Call on Jesus. Buddha's not going to help you. Transcendental meditation isn't going to help you. The Bhagavad Gita isn't going to help you. Jesus will. He's alive, a living faith, alive and well. He has the capacity to help you. He has the will to help you, but he will only do so if you ask. And you must ask him. Believe it and ask him. We're going to talk about the book of Job, right? Book of Job. What a book. <laughs> if anybody was in a hot mess, if you know anything about this guy and know anything about this book, if anybody had a hot mess, Job had a hot mess. Anybody familiar with the story of the book of Job? Like, oh man, this is, seems like it's going to be depressing. No, this is going to be life-giving. This is going to be life-changing. Book of Job is the story of a man named Job but it's also a window into the spiritual world. It's one of the only places in the Old Testament where we get to peek behind the veil. We get to see what actually goes on in the spirit world. One of the only books in the Old Testament. Not be, it's beyond a revelation of God. There, the prophets gave revelations of God. But Job gives you insight into the courts of heaven, gives you insight into how the administration of the kingdom actually works and how heaven and earth actually work in an administrative process. We get greater revelation of that in the New Testament, but the Old Testament, it's in the minority. It's a window into the spiritual world, and it's a, say it with me, deep lesson. Come on. On the law of the Spirit. This is a deep lesson on the law of the Spirit. This is keys to come back. This is keys to turn around. Job experienced one of the greatest turnarounds in the Bible. Everybody wants to focus on everything that Job went through. Well, Job, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Job had some bad theology. Job had really bad theology. <laughs> Job spends, him and he and his friends spend 30 plus chapters 
expounding about God ignorantly. Ignorantly. These were well-taught men, but they talked about the Lord ignorantly. God shows up in the last four chapters and he spends three chapters talking about his goodness and explaining to these guys, you'd have no clue what you're talking about. You speak things about me that are completely not true. And they were speaking really good things. Well, if it was God's will for you to succeed, Job, then you would succeed. If it was God's will for you to be healed, Job, then you'd already be healed. They're speaking that type of language. The church today speaks that type of language. They had this keen idea of sovereignty, but they didn't understand delegated authority. They had this keen idea of, the, of, of sovereignty, but they didn't understand God's goodness. They, had, they were completely ignorant of the ways of the Lord. Completely. They knew of him, but they didn't know him. They didn't know his nature. They didn't know his heart. They were Sadducees of the first order. They were, you neither know my word, nor you know my power. Sadducees knew the word of God. They did. But they had misappropriated what they had taught. They were reading something and not combining what they were reading with his nature. All theology has to filter through the nature of God. Or it is bad theology. Job teaches us that. Oh, you guys got some theology, but your theology is not combined with my nature. Therefore, your interpretations are wrong. You're wrong. It's a deep lesson. So let me tell you the book of Job. Bible opens up with this window, right? Talks about Job. And it says this. God, the day the angels of the Lord came to present themselves to God. So what does that tell us? Angels come and present themselves to the Lord. Not just one time. This is an ongoing occurring thing. Well, what does that mean? It means God delegates authority. He has delegated authority to the angelic beings. What God does, is God not capable of doing it himself? Of course he is. He can do it himself, but God chooses to delegate. He likes to delegate. He's in control, but he dispatches the angels to be overseers. That's what he does. He dispatches the angels to go and do and perform his will. And then they come before him and they give an account. They tell him what's going on. Oh man, John's interceding. And man, I've been waiting for John to finally get on the knees and pray and believe God, believe something. And when he started praying, man, I got, Lord, I got activated for the first time. Angels are activated through the prayers of the saints. The Holy Spirit is activated, absolutely. But the angels are the ministering spirits. And so when we pray, the angels are activated. And so they come before the Lord and they start saying, oh man, this is what was going on. You have no idea. This is so cool. Carmen's really believing me. She's taking steps of faith. She's doing these things. And man, the, we, were, we were able to release power into her life for the first time. And Jesus is like, that's what I'm talking about. So the Lord is listening to the good report and he's listening to the things that are going on. And in this midst comes Satan. Bible says, when the sons of God, the angels of God came to present themselves to the Lord, Satan was among them. Now, this is a crazy story. If you want to read between the lines, the angels didn't recognize him. Did you know that? No one gives an indication that anybody knew it was Satan except the Lord. The Lord knew it was Satan, but the other angels didn't. Anybody know why? What does the Bible say? The angel, the devil masquerades as an angel of light. And so he came in his disguise, masquerade as one of the other angelic beings. And he was in the midst. And none of the other angels recognized him, but the Lord did. He comes to you, not just as an angel of light. He comes to you as you. The devil speaks to you in your own language. (laughs) That's the worst. That's why you need to discern 
the voice of your father above all other voices, including your own. Oftentimes we can't discern the voice of God over our own voice. Our voice is dominant. Well, what if the devil was talking to you in your voice? You ever see the movie Terminator? Right? Anybody? Come on. Yeah, somebody's with me. Like, <laughs> in the movie Terminator, the Terminator can talk in other people's voices. He can deceive people by talking to them in their voice. He's on the phone and he's talking as if he was another person. The devil does the same thing. Same as the devil, the term, well, the devil definitely is a terminator. Give him an opportunity. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So Jesus delegates authority. The devil comes before the Lord in the midst of this thing that's going on. And the Lord asks him a very interesting question. And I had to really research this question because this isn't maybe the way I have, I would ask it. And so it's like, is this like a conjecture? What, why, why is this being worded this way? And so I went into this word a little bit and tried to understand what, what the Lord was actually asking him. He says, where are you coming from? It's an interesting word, right? Where are you coming from? Not why are you here? Where have you been? Where are you coming from? The phrasing of that word tells me there's something more behind that. And he says, have you considered my servant Job? He says, where are you coming from? And the devil says, I've been coming from Rome and the earth. So the devil, the, the indication of that verse is that Satan is coming there for a reason. He's not just there to just kind of hang out and try to deceive people. He's coming before the Lord with an accusation. Who is he? What does the Bible tell us? He is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses you before the throne by day and by night. So Satan is coming with an accusation. There's a purpose for him coming. He's like, hey, I've been coming from Rome and through the earth. And he says, and the Lord says, well, have you considered my servant Job? Well, watch this Hebrew word considered. That doesn't make sense either. If you're reading the context, it's like the Lord's like kind of like, hey, Lucifer, have you considered Job? Like, why would he say that? Because he didn't say it that way. The Hebrew word is the word sum, and it means charges. It means fasten, and it means prepare. Now, if you understand it in light of that word, what he's asking him is he says, what have you charged? What charges have you against Job? What are you fastening against him? What are you preparing against my servant Job? He is upright in every way. In other words, the Lord is defending Job, saying, "What you're coming before me from roaming the earth. You're coming before me with an accusation. And the Lord's discerning this, and he's saying, what charges are you bringing against Job? What, what right are you claiming against Job? And the, the devil says, he serves you pretentiously. He doesn't serve you other, he doesn't, you say he serves you from his heart. I say he serves you from his circumstances. Job has idols in his life and Job operates in a way that he does not believe that you are good. And that's exactly what happened. Job had idols. And in a day, Satan destroyed everything. You know what he lost? He lost his children. He lost his family. Didn't lose his wife, so clearly he wasn't idolizing his wife for some reason. I don't know what was going on. They needed some marriage counseling or something, but I don't know. Somebody needed to show up and help him there. Not that she was a bad woman, I don't know, but there was, he, she still stuck around. He lost everything. He lost his children, he lost his health, and he lost his possessions. Well, that tells us something. What does it tell us? People go, well, why would, God, why would God do that? Well, the Bible's telling us God didn't do it. Then the next question would be, well, why would God allow that? The greater question, the greatest question is what right 
did Satan have to do that? That is the question. That is the million dollar question. Satan does nothing but by right. He can do nothing in your life but by right. He must have a right or he can do nothing. He could do nothing between Adam and Eve until Adam and Eve gave him the right. He couldn't do anything. He's just a parrot. Didn't the Lord say he's just echoing his deep thoughts or his deceptive thoughts, but he had no power until it was given to him. He has no power in your life unless there's a right that he can claim. And he's coming before him. He's probably been observing Job. And he says, oh, okay, I got this guy's number. He idolizes his children. He idolizes his health and he idolizes his possession. I claim the right of idolatry over Job. That's what he did. Did Job? Yes, he did. You have to read between the lines. You have to study this. God just puts it out there and he expects us to study his word. Our problem, which is the problem of the three friends of Job, is they only read the Bible on a surface level. Therefore, their opinions about God were very surface oriented. They were not rooted in depth. They were not rooted in teaching. They were not rooted in revelation. They were not rooted in understanding. Job idolized his children. The Bible tells us that his children liked to party. Oons, 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 oons. They were having house parties all the time. And it says that when, they would, when the house party would be over, Job would do a purification ritual on their behalf. It doesn't say that they purified themselves. It says that Job did a purification ritual on their behalf. What Job's, what Job's idolatry towards his children was linked to was fear. He was afraid for his children. So his idolatry, the note of fear in his life was bound for his children. His identity was wrapped up in his possessions. Job was a man of renown. So he's, I, I mean, he's a, he drives a mozzie. The whole town knows him. When Job was sick, three other prominent men came to him because they're all prominent. Job was the guy. Job was like, even my money has money. That was how Job was. He was very wealthy. And clearly his identity was wrapped up in his possessions because he became low. Job, his head was wrapped up and he believed not just his strength was in his health. Why was his health taking? Because Job probably liked leafy greens. Okay. I like leafy greens. I had leafy greens yesterday, but leafy greens aren't my protection. Leafy greens aren't my savior. And so Job is idolizing his strength. I'm afraid for my children. Therefore, I will, I will work upon their behalf. I'm afraid of my possessions. I want to keep everything. I'm a prominent man. I'm a man of renown. I'm known in all the world um, for, for who I am and how successful I am. So he idolizes that. And have you seen my body? I'm 50 years old and I look like a golden god. I'm tanned. I'm oiled. My muscles, my muscles don't do anything, but they're just for decoration. This is Joe. Older man probably looked great. He probably had a six pack. He liked to work in the field with his shirt off. You know? I'm just giving you some insight. The enemy claimed a right based upon their, uh, on the actions of the children. So he had a right over the children, but the children would be covered by the faith of the father. But the faith of the father was bound by fear, and fear provided an open door. Fear always provides an open door. Always. Always. You want to know how this stuff works? I'm going to tell you how it works. Most Christians want to deny it. I always tell them, but stick your head in the sand, bro. I'm telling you how this stuff works. I'm telling you what he does and how he does it. I, had to, I, I talk about this sometimes and I have people go, well, pastor, you know, we're not, we're not supposed to look for the devil. We're supposed to look for Jesus. And I'm like, look, I'm not looking for the devil under any rock. 
But the Bible also commands us to be not ignorant of Satan nor his devices. That's a command. You are not to be ignorant and you are not to be dull of the devil and his devices. This is why there's so much erroneous teaching in the church. This is why God, evil things happen and people blame them on God. The coronavirus, it's God's wrath. The coronavirus has nothing to do with God's wrath. Nothing. The coronavirus moves in our land and harbors in certain cities. Why is it harboring? Why is it clustering in certain cities? Well, just look what those cities are doing. Just look what those cities have done. There's an open door and there's a right and the enemy is claiming it. Claiming it. When New York passes an abortion law that allows a woman to abort the child up until the moment of birth, and they sign it with smiles on their faces to shed innocent blood. You don't think that's a covenant of death. And you don't think the devil goes, oh, okay. I'm going to visit this right upon this place because they have invited death. They've invited death to the door. Therefore, I'm going to take it. I'm just telling you how this works. It, it's, it, it, you say it's not fair. People go, that's not fair. The devil doesn't fight fair. The devil fights by the law of the spirit. And so if you don't understand the law of the spirit, he's going to beat you every time. Anybody ever been to court? God help us. May you never go to court. But when you go to court, you don't have a clue what's going on, right? And if you go into court or you go into certain circumstances and you don't know the game, you will lose. You will lose. If you don't know how the game is played, I don't care how good your intentions are. If you don't understand the rules and you don't understand the concepts that are in play or in motion, you're going to lose. Just the reality. And so Christians oftentimes are ravaged in their lives because they don't understand the law of the spirit. And we're so dismissive. Well, Jesus has done it all. Jesus has done it all and he's given you power and he's given you rulership and he expects you to use it. He expects you to understand and to walk in these things. The enemy claimed to write on the children, but the devil got, he, the, the father could have covered them. Let me tell you what it looks like for a father, to, a, a father to cover a parent, right? This is what it looks like. First of all, let me just put you all at ease. Parents are not responsible for the choices of their adult children, okay? You are not responsible for the choices of your adult child. What happens is, And how do I know this? Because I have adult children that I love very much. And the Lord has taught me great lessons through this process. What the Lord has taught me is that, Kevin, you do not have control in this matter. What you can do is you can try to wrest control from your children. You can try to go there and take control by force if you want to. But that's not going to work out very well. Anybody raised adult children? How's that working for you? It doesn't work, right? He says, but you, or you can acknowledge your weakness. You can acknowledge that you don't have power here, but I do. And you can take your power and you can give it to me and you can begin to allow me to move in the lives of those children. You cannot control them, but I can. You cannot bring them around, but I can. And so what it looks like is, is Lord, you've given me this child and I give them back to you. Lord, I believe this is faith. This is faith. I'm not trying to make excuses. Job made a lot of excuses for his kids. You don't need to make excuses for your children. You don't. You know what you need to do? Give them to Jesus. That's the answer. You can't make excuses. Bad behavior is bad behavior. But what you can, and you can't control it. You don't want it to go that way, but you can't control it. What you can do is give it to the Lord by faith. Lord, I believe you love them more than I love them. 
I believe you're more of a father than I am a father. Therefore, I take my fatherly authority. I take the dominion over this child that you have given me, and I give it to you. I am weak and powerless in this moment, Lord. I am weak and powerless over the circumstances, but you are not. Therefore, I yield my parental authority unto you. And I decree, now we add to tell you, you want to get real power on it, then you go, I decree that your strength is perfected in my weakness. Most Christians don't want to acknowledge any weakness. We think we look bad. You know, Job didn't want to look bad. He kept making excuses. Oh, yeah, I know. I know my kids like to party, you know, but, you know, hey, you know, he kept making excuses for his fit for his children. And he was afraid that something was going to come on him and it didn't benefit him. He couldn't change his kids through his fear. And what the other thing that happened is he opened the door and gave the, uh, the devil opportunity through his fear. Give him to Jesus. I'm going to teach you something. Okay. I learned this. I'm going to teach you something. This cost me blood, but I'm going to give it to you for free. When you can't control the circumstance, whatever it is, if it's your children or the circumstance, and you're like, Lord, I'm without power, you just simply say this prayer, Lord, I give it to you, and I release the fullness of the power of your spirit into that circumstance. Lord, I can't control this matter, I give it to you, and I release the fullness of the power of your spirit into that matter, and you let him do what he does. God knows how to work it out when you don't. But you have to demonstrate faith. Stop trying to wrest control over the situation. We try to wrest control. We can't, we have, there are times when we have no control and and in our lack of control, we get afraid. That's really where it comes from. Don't we, we can't control it. So we get afraid. We start freaking out. Oh my gosh, I can't control this. I'm afraid. I can't control whether or not they lay me off or not. Oh my gosh, they might lay me off. I might lose my job. Oh, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And fear is an opportunity of the enemy. And that's what happened here. He was fearful for them. He idolized them and that opened the door. Job 3.25, he said, the thing that I have feared the most has come upon me. You don't think Job was afraid? He acknowledges his fear. I was afraid. And the fear that I've had for my children has happened. How did it happen? Because he made a covenant with fear. He idolized his wealth, man of renown, probably very proud of his hell. Okay? This speaks to our generation. Just look at Instagram. There's lots of people proud of their health, aren't they? Lots of people proud of their wealth. (laughs) Or the fake wealth that they have, the car that they rented to shoot for the Instagram shot. And, you know, their neighbor's house with a pool that they're out by the pool. Yeah, lounging, lounging with my homies. Dude, that's not even your house. Look at my car, man. Dude, that's not your car. (laughs) The majority of those pictures are staged. They are. He's very proud of his health. So he had idols. So let me tell you what an idol is. This is important. If we're going to overcome this stuff, we have to understand what exactly it is so that we can deal with it in our life. An idol is a master passion. It's what you live for. Job lived for his children. Christian, you are not called to live for your children. You're called to live for Jesus. I... If anyone does not deny himself, take up his cross. Whoever loves mother, father, sister, brother, anybody else, your children included, more than me, you are not what? Worthy of me. Worthy of me. And there are lots of believers. And I'm not saying you don't invest in your children. I'm not saying you don't spend time with your children. All of those things are possible. But you are not to idolize them. They are not your idol. If your children keep you from church, you have an idol. I'm going to say that again. I know that's going to offend people. But if your children keep you from church, you have an idol. If Sunday morning dance review every month, every week keeps you from church, you have an idol. 
You need to find a dance class where that girl can dance on Tuesdays, on Fridays, on Saturdays, not on God's day. That's just a real simple, basic way of understanding it. It gets bigger than that, but for most of us, we have to have remedial math before we can get to the higher things. We have to understand one plus one equals two. So let me give you one plus one equals two. If, If your child's activities and your child's needs and demands are consuming you to the degree that Jesus is being sacrificed, you have an idol. If God says left and you say right because of your children, you have an idol. You have an idol. Little children, keep yourselves from idol. Idolatry. The devil, I'm going to tell you where the devil uses what he testifies against you with. He speaks against us. Altars and blood are what speak against our lives. You want to know what the devil accuses us with before the father? I'm going to tell you. He accuses you with issues in the bloodline. That's the blood, among other things. Or acts that have shed blood. Anything that's bound by blood, including abortion. That's why I'm talking to you about that. And altars speak, the things that we bow to that are not Jesus. That's what he uses to speak against our lives. He speaks against you in accusation based upon blood and based upon altars. Altars speak and blood speaks. And he's speaking against Job based upon his altars. That's what's going on here. He idolizes his children. Just look. He idolizes his wealth. Just look. He idolizes his health. And Lucifer's probably like, look, Lord, I'm all into the flesh, man. This guy's impressive. He's like 62 years old. That guy can squat 300 pounds. You know, he's got a, you know, 275 bench press. I mean, this dude seriously is impressive, but he trusts in it. He says, my health will sustain me. My wealth will deliver me. Some trust in chariots, the psalmist said. But we are to trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Our faith cannot be in our possessions. God has given us possessions, but my possessions are not my deliverer. Jesus is my deliverer. My health, and by all means, the Bible says this, having done all, stand. Which means do everything that you have to do. And in the end, stand. Not stand in your health. Work out if you want to work out. Go keto if you want to go keto. But keto is not going to save you. Keto will help you. But keto won't save you. Do everything you can. Make your body prime. Make your body the temple of the Holy Spirit. But don't trust in that. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. We do everything that we can, but we stand in Jesus. We work our jobs. We do everything that we can to, do, to succeed and to forth our, our destiny in our life. But we don't trust in that. We trust in Jesus. Job did not believe that God was good. He trusted in himself and his possessions. He loved the Lord. He honored the Lord. How do we know that Job belonged to the Lord? Because the Lord acknowledged him. Have you considered my servant Job? What plan, what sum, what strategy, what accusation do you bring against my servant Job? Against my servant. So God acknowledged him as his son. But Job's, Job's faith was religious and not relational. That's the problem. He knew all the right things to do, but he didn't know the one he was doing it for. He knew. He knew how to check all the boxes. He knew how to dress right. He knew how to wear his tie. He knew how to wear khakis and polos on Sunday morning. He knew all that. He knew how to say, bless God, hallelujah, brother, when he was in church. He knew he was supposed to read his Bible, check, and you should read your Bible. He knew he was supposed to come to church, and he'd check, but you should come to church. But we don't come to church. We don't come to church for religious pretenses. We come to church to honor the one who calls us to honor him. Church is about honor. Giving is about honor. 
Well, I'm give because I'm supposed to. Obedience is the lowest level of discipleship. I'll let that marinate. Obedience is the lowest level. All of us are called to be disciples. And we're all called to obey. But our motivations in our discipleship are not to... They may begin with obedience, but they are to rise to the level of honor. I come to church not because I'm being obedient. I come to church not because I'm being obedient. I come to church because it's out of honor. Honor. He's worthy of it. Church attendance is an act of worship. Why? Because he's worth it. I give not because he tells me to. And I have done that many years in my life. I have given strictly out of obedience. I give because he's worthy of my tithe. He's worthy. I give because I honor him. I give because he loves me and I love him. And the love of Christ compels me. I witness. Not because he tells me to. I'm not a, we're not Jehovah Witnesses running down the neighborhood logging hours. We tell people about Christ because A, he wants us to, and B, we honor him by doing it. Faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. Jesus Christ has come to save sinners. He wants us to reach out to the lost. That's why we do it. We don't do it for any other reason than that. You can do it out of obedience, but if you live at the level of obedience, you're on a low level of discipleship. Christians seem to think that if they're an obedient Christian, I hear this all, I'm an obedient Christian pastor, you're at the lowest level of discipleship. I'm going to tell you that right now. You are. I'm not saying it's bad. It's not bad. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, that we have obedient believers. May all rise to the level of obedience because unfortunately, the majority of the church cannot even rise to the level of obedience. That's the sad part. Radical five, read your Bible, pray, commit and connect to church, financially give and live on mission. That's obedience. That's the minimum standard of all believers. And it's sad, but most Christians can't even do those five simple things. It's true. Why do you read my Bible? Well, sometimes you read it because you, you, you want to obey him. But what about if you read the Bible to honor him? What if you read the Bible and you had an expectation that God was going to say something to you? I read this word, Lord, because it's your word. I do not live by bread alone. I live by every word that comes forth from your mouth. I live by the word. Of, I live by your word. I live by the word of your logos. And I live by the word of your rhema. I live by the word of what is written. And I wor- live by the word of the revelation that comes through the Holy Spirit. I don't live by human counsel. I live by godly counsel. What if you rose to the level of honor and took it beyond obedience? Obedience is the... I'm, and again, I'm not knocking obedience. I'm not. I call people to obedience. But obedience is the starting place. Christians, when they're obedience, they want a plaque. They want their name on the wall. (laughs) I'm obedient, pastor. Praise God. Hallelujah. You've made it through kindergarten. Finally, now we're in elementary school. Let's go to grad school. Let's go higher. Let's go to advanced things. Let us leave behind the elementary principles. Christians can't get get past the elementary principles. Job's faith was religious, not relational. His friends come. So as if that isn't bad enough, now Job gets three of his friends, right? Negative circumstances and negative people. (laughs) His three friends come around him and start counseling him. And this is 30 plus chapters of this book. That's why people don't read it. It's because it's 30 30 chapters of... of, of, uh, uh, rhetorical nonsense 
And why did God allow, why did God devote 30 plus chapters of rhetorical nonsense? Because he wanted to show us. You speak a lot of words, but they mean nothing. You speak emptiness, boastful things you make. So 30 chapters of the book of Job, and it can be summarized in about a couple of sentences. What was going on? Come on, you did something wrong. God would never allow these circumstances on you if you didn't do something wrong. Sovereignty. That's again the dog. Well, God did this for you because it's his sovereign will. God wants to sovereignly punish you. That's not what the Bible says. Not at all. You've done something wrong. Come on, Job, just tell us. We know you won't admit it to yourself, but at least admit it to us. And over and over again, Job keeps saying, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. There's nothing that I've done. I've kept the uprightness of God. That's true. But he did it religiously and not relationally. And Job had idols. And so we have three fools talking about stupid stuff for 30 plus chapters. Anybody got any fools around me? Everybody wants to give you an opinion about Jesus. They don't want to give him in Christian. We don't want to give opinions. Why are you going through suffering? Well, brother, there must be some sin in your life. Well, maybe, but God's not doing it to you. That was their whole contention. And you know, at the end of the chapter, I got news for those who believe that God is doing it. At the end of the chapter, after those three men spoke for 30 chapters, the Lord refused to speak to them. He didn't even talk to them. Those 30 guys, those three guys who spent 30 chapters explaining to Job the nature of God, the Lord looks at him and goes, you're a fool. I'm not even talking to you. He didn't even talk to him. He didn't come down and go, Eliaphaz, let me talk to you. Whatever the guy's name, I can't even pronounce it. I don't even know. (laughs) The T guy. He didn't even, he didn't come down and, and, and ask that guy. He didn't talk to him because they just spent 30 chapters pontificating on stupidity. God doesn't talk to people who don't know him. Unless they want to. If you think you know everything about him, the Lord will leave you in your pride. You know nothing. That's what Job did. I don't know a thing. He heard the Lord speak. He said, wow, I'm a fool. I put my hand over my mouth. But they spent 30 chapters trying to tell him what God was doing to him and why. And they were completely wrong. Completely. And the Lord shows up in chapter 40. It's going to get good. I'm going to show you how it all turns. But it's important that we understand the background of this before we understand the change. The Lord shows up and talks to Job. He begins speaking to Job. He says, who is this that darkens my counsel? Who is this? Watch this. I'm going to show you. Again, you want to reveal the nature of God. I'm going to give it to you. Who is talking about my counsel in such a dark way? I know that's not my son. My son is not talking to me about this. It couldn't be Job. So Job, who's actually talking to me about this dark counsel? I know you're talking that, but I don't recognize the person who's speaking of me in that way. God doesn't recognize you that way. He doesn't recognize Job when he's, when he's saying these things. He says, who is this? Job, who are you that speaks of me in that way? When you speak negative things of God, you know what God looks at you and goes, who are you? Do you even know who you are? Do you even know that you're my son? Do you even know that you're my daughter? Do you not even know that you're an heir to my kingdom? Who is this that darkens my counsel? You make dark the words that I say. You make dark my nature. Who are you? (laughs) You ever thought you knew somebody and then you look at them and go, who are you? Who is this that darkens my counsel? Who speaks empty words without knowledge? And he tells Job, stand up. He didn't say, ready? Get down on your knees. 
rend your garment, sackcloth and ashes. Job eventually, people are going to go, well, Job did repent in sackcloth and ashes. Yes, Job repented in sackcloth and ashes, but God didn't command him to do it. That's important. What did the Lord command him to do? Get on your feet. You're my son. Stop sniveling. Stop groveling. Stop blaming. Stop sniveling. Stop groveling. Stop blaming. Get on your feet. Take your posture as a son of the highest. Take your posture as a daughter of the highest. Know who you are. So Job, God saying to him, Do, who are you? Get on your feet and recognize yourself for who you are. I don't see you this way. Get on your feet. Get on your feet. Oh God, if you loved me, you'd do something. You know what God's going to tell you? Get on your feet. Get on your feet. Take your rightful place. Know who you are. Job keeps saying, I've done nothing wrong. And the Lord says to him, would you indeed make nothing of my goodness? That's what he says. You make nothing of my goodness. You condemn me to justify yourself. (laughs) What does that mean? It means Job kept saying, I didn't do anything wrong. There's nothing I did wrong. And Job technically didn't do anything wrong. He had unseen idols in his life. He had unseen lies that he believed. And the Lord's going to reveal it to him. And you're going to see at the end of the, in, in uh, Job chapter 42, how God shows him this and he wakes up. He kept saying, I, don't, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. And he condemned the Lord. How did he condemn the Lord? It must mean that this has come upon me because God is not good. It must mean that this has come upon me because God doesn't care. And so he's saying, you're condemning me to justify yourself. How many times do we do that? We condemn the Lord to justify us. I haven't done anything wrong. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? God will never answer your why prayers. He will never answer your why prayers. You can pray why until the cows come home, right? And the chickens come home to roost. And there actually is a thing called cows coming home. I don't know if you know that or not. My uncle used to have a sick, my uncle was a horse trainer. He had a 600 acre farm that I used to visit in Kentucky when I was uh, a kid, <laughs> just a little kid. And in the morning, the cows would get up and go to the backside where there's this big barn on the backside of the property. And they'd go there and lay in the shade all day. And then when the sun would be coming down, you know what happened? The cows came home. The cows would come right back. And so there is actually a thing called the cows come home. <laughs> I could tell you more stories about cows, but I won't. Enough cow stories. You can blame and you can ask why until the end of the day and God will not answer you. And you'll keep asking, why is this happening? Why won't you answer me? And it's amazing how silent those prayers are, are they not? Are they not? What if you began to ask, what exactly is going on here, Lord? What is in me that is causing this? What right does the enemy have over me that he is claiming and open doors. What if you start asking what instead of why? You know what's going to happen? I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. God's going to answer those prayers. He doesn't answer why prayers, but he will answer what prayers. What? What's going on here, Lord? What do you want me to tell you, Kevin? You got a lot you got an idol of your children. What's going on here, Job? Well, you want me to tell you, Job, you you're really into the leafy greens, man. And you're trusting in your health. What's going on here, Job? What's going on here, Lord? Well, your, your trust is in your fame. Your trust is in your fortune. You believe that that's your deliverance. You believe that's your power. And you're idolizing that. That's what's going on here. He's going to tell you what you don't like. Most of the time when the Lord says that stuff, we deny it. <laughs> you have an idol. No, I don't. No, I do not. Your answer when the Lord tells you that shouldn't be denial. It should be, really? Show me where. Show me how. Show me what. 
Job kept saying, I've done no wrong. It must be because God's not good. He believed a lie that God was not good. And so he's condemning the Lord and justifying himself. He did not realize how the spiritual world operates. So his ignorance of God was magnified. Because he did not understand spiritual dynamics, his ignorance was magnified. Deep darkness. The Pharisees didn't understand how God operates, and they were blind leaders of the blind. They couldn't activate anything. They were bound. He didn't understand how the spiritual world operates, and he had no awareness of the devil. I don't think the devil's been mentioned in our... The devil isn't mentioned in modern churches. It's like crazy. I, I, it's like, it's like he, he's gone away or something. <laughs> We're not looking for the devil, but we are aware. We are aware. His faith was religious, not relational. These are Job's issues. He knew nothing of the goodness of God, and he believed that God was not good, which is to believe a lie. You partner with a lie. He believed in his head, but he didn't believe in his heart, and his actions didn't tell him that. The enemy will work through altars, and the enemy will work through blood, and the enemy will work through covenant lies that you believe, not lies of your head. Christians can regurgitate knowledge like that. I mean, a lot of believers are like machine guns. Oh, I don't believe a lie. I can quote you 10 verses on that. Yeah, but what's going on in your heart? And your heart is reflected through your actions. You say, you say I don't believe a lie. I know God's good. Then why are you freaking out right now? Why are you worried about the future? God's got it. Has he done it before? He'll do it again. Rest and trust in God. Don't trust in economies. Don't trust in human wisdom. Pray for human wisdom. Pray for economies. But that even, even through your prayers, what you're doing is you're saying, Lord, you are able. They are not. You are. So therefore, I pray for your enabling. Prayer is an act of faith. Job's faith was sincere, but it was based in ignorance. Everybody say it with me. His captivity is about to change. (laughs) So here comes some good news for you. And so the Lord appears. The Lord speaks for three chapters. And Job's like this. His friends were like this. That doesn't line up with my theology. God himself is telling him his nature. And yet they're denying that that's actually how he is. It's like the Lord showing up. And what the Lord does is he pontificates, he expounds upon his goodness. He said, Job, do you not know, not only stand up, who are you, stand up, do you not know who I am? I'm the guy, I'm the God who creates things and stars sing. That's who I am. I'm the God who spins planets. I cast the stars from my hand. I measure the sea in my hand. You see the sea, Job, is the sea good? Yeah, that's me. That's me. And he makes this interesting statement. He says, I feed lions. Oh, come on. That's good. That's a prophetic word there. The Lord feeds lions. He says, I feed lions and I feed ravens. What does that mean? I feed the noble animal and I feed the outcast because I'm that good. I take care of the just and I take care of the unjust. I'm that good. And so the Lord just kept going on and on about his goodness and he's expounding it in this really deep and poetic way. He's talking to him about my goodness and how I can control the things that harm you. I have that ability. But Job's problem was he wasn't looking to the Lord. He kept looking to himself. He says, you don't know who you are, Job, and you don't know who I am. And Job, at the end, this is where Job turns. This is what differentiates the minority from the majority. There were four people in this story. Job was the one that was suffering. Three of the other guys stayed in their ignorance and they stayed in their arrogance. But Job turned. And why did Job turn? Job became humble. And he says, you have asked this question, Lord. 
<laughs> he softens it a little bit. Who takes this counsel about me without knowledge? That's not what he said. He said, who is this that darkens my counsel? And Job's like, <laughs> you've asked this question, so let me answer you. And he says this, I have uttered what I have not understand. That's what he said. I have uttered what I have not understood. I have spoken of you in a way that is wrong because I have not understood who you really are. He says, the things that you have shown me now, these things are too wonderful for me, but I did not know them. <laughs> Listen now to me, please, Lord. You said you will question me and you said for me to answer you. Therefore, I answer you and I say, I have heard you, but I've only heard of you by the hearing ear. But now I have seen you. I've only heard about you. I've never actually known you. That's what he's saying. My actions are reflective of the case that I don't really know who you are. I've only heard what people have told me. And I've tried to respond to you in a way upon which people have told me. But now I know you. Now I've encountered you. Now I've experienced you. And my world has changed. When you encounter Jesus and you encounter the living God in spirit and power, your world changes. Encounter always alters your theology. Always. Job's theology was altered because he encountered the Lord. I've only heard of you. Now I see you. And then what does he say? Therefore, I regret my ways. I regret all of the things that I have done. I regret my idolization of my children, Lord, because I know you're now that. I, don't, I, I shouldn't do that. I regret the idolization of my wealth, Lord, because I know I shouldn't do that. I regret the idolization of my health and thinking that I have the ability to do anything because I know I shouldn't do that. I regret my ways. And, the Lord, and then he says, I repent in sackcloth and ashes. What does it mean? He lowered himself. That's the idea of humility here. God didn't ask for that level of humility, but Job gave it. Repentance would have been enough. And the Bible says that the Lord honored Job's words. He honored his words. He said, I appreciate you telling me that, Job. Thank you. Thank you for telling me that you've spoken of me wrongly. Thank you for acknowledging that you've only operated, my relationship with you has only been based upon what you've heard. And you are acknowledging that you really don't know me. This is where our churches are today. It's sad to say. We operate in, in this system of knowledge. It's religious pretense. And the enemy walks among us because of this. We speak empty words about God without knowledge. We, it's, it's foolishness. Foolishness. Anything, anybody who believes God afflicts, read Job. Read Job. Anybody who thinks that God, God brings death or God brings healing or, or not healing, God brings disease, read Job. And read the rebuke that he put upon those who taught such things. He put a stiff rebuke upon those who taught such things. And he wouldn't even talk to them. No wonder those people, no wonder, that's, this is why some of these churches that believe God afflicts, no wonder you can't hear God. Well, I've tried, I've prayed, I've heard, I've never heard the Lord. Therefore, prophetic isn't real. Because you're like Eliphaz. You believe wrongly about the Lord and he's not talking to you. <laughs> just the thought. Just the thought. I do not know. I have not seen. I've only seen, heard of your wonders. I've never seen them. But now that I've seen them, it's amazing what happens when you get healed. Your healing theology changes. It's amazing what happens when you speak in tongues. Your tongue theology teaches, shifts. It's amazing what happens when you give a prophetic word. Your prophetic word theology teaches, shifts. 
shifts. Your encounter shifts you. It's amazing when you experience God's provision. Your, your, your acknowledgement of his provision shifts. Job's turn. He entered into faith. Say it with me. He entered into faith. He listened to the Lord. That's number one. His three friends didn't listen. You get that? And that's what the Lord says. You have not honored me as Job has. Well, how, what did Job do? People think, well, see, Job was in worship all the time. Therefore, God acknowledged Job because Job was always worshiping. That's not what the text is telling us. He's talking about that moment. He's saying, you have not honored me in this moment as he has. He listened to the Lord and he turned. He acknowledged the error and he repented. Repentance breaks the enemy's rights. And the Lord says to him, now you speak rightly of me, Job. Now you're speaking rightly of me. Now, after my encounter with you, my experience with you and your experience with me and knowing me and seeing me for who I really am and you standing up like the son that you are, now you speak correctly. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job. Almost done. Job 42, 10. The Lord turned the captivity of Job. He turned his fortunes. He turned his circumstances. He turned his season. And then the Lord says, pray for your friends. And the Lord gave, God, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Double for your trouble. Listen to the Lord. Today, if you will hear my voice, and not harden your heart into rebellion, listen to God. Stop asking why and start asking what. Start doing the things that you understand to do. You want your captivity to change? Listen to what he says and do it. Begin to engage God in relationship, not pretense. Return to the Lord, which is to call upon him. Repent of your idols. This is huge. Repent of your idols. Second commandment. You don't think the enemy claims it? It's the second commandment. You will have no idols before me. No idols. The devil knows the law of the spirit and he claims it. He claims it. Ah, he's got an idol. I claim it. Bigger teaching there. I don't want to get into all that. I'll take another hour. <laughs> live, in, live by faith and live your faith. Live by faith and live your faith. That's what he told him. Pray. There's no indication that Job prayed. Job's in the middle of suffering and he's not even calling on the Lord. You know that? You know that? But after he encounters the Lord, now he's calling on the Lord. Now he's interceding. Now he's communing. So we're going to do a prayer of repentance for everyone that's here. And we're going to do a prayer of repentance for those of you watching by live stream. And what I encourage you to do, if you can see it on the wall here, if you're in the room, is take a picture of the prayer, not because I wrote it, but because it gives you some context for how this stuff rolls out. And as you begin to ask the Lord where your idols are, if you ask him, he's going to show you. And when he shows you, then you can take where he showed you and you can apply it into that prayer. He says, you have an idol of fear. You have the fear of, you know, where, Lord? And he starts showing you all this. Then you need to repent of that idol. Why do I have the fear of men? Where does the fear of men come from? The fear of men come from, comes from the place that you believe that they are your source and I am not. That's where the fear of men come from, comes from. Your, so, your fear, your concern is related to other people's opinions and you have, believe a lie that my opinion is the only one that matters, is not the only one that matters. I'm telling you, this stuff's deep and this stuff's life-changing. So we're going to pray this prayer of repentance. I'm going to try to do it slowly. I'm out of time, but I'm going to try to do it slowly. 
those of you that are here with us, this is based upon everything I just told you about Job. We're going to take our places as sons and daughters. We're going to do all the things that God was talking about with Job. Let's pray it together. Just say, Father, I come before you as your son or as your daughter, and I repent for what I have not known. I repent and I renounce the areas of my life where I have not trusted you. I just gave you a few. My finances, my family, my future. And this is where you can fill in the blank. Today, I declare that you are good. You are forever for me and never against me. I open myself to the Holy Spirit to show me the areas of my life where I hold idols. Idols of fear, idols of control, idols of people, idols of places, and idols of things. I repent for any decision I have made as a result of my idolatry. I repent of any identity I have drawn as a result of my idolatry. I repent for any comfort that I have taken among my idols. You are my wisdom. You are my identity. You are my comfort. Therefore, I repent and I break covenant with all lies associated with my idols. And I renounce all rights and all inheritances associated with these idols. And before heaven and earth, today I go free. Before heaven and earth, today I decree my captivity changes, my captivity turns, my fortunes change. And based upon the command of the word of God, I command double for my trouble as a result... Which let me say it this way. I command a double restoration for everything I have lost as a result of my idolatry. I command all to be restored in double form, just as the scripture says in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Good prayer, right? Good prayer. Fire you up. Set you free. Basic prayer. Well, we love you. We want to bless you. We want to bless the congregation here. And there's more I could say. Someone has said, I'm sure you could. But uh, I just want to bless you all here. And I want to bless you guys at home. And we want to encourage you and tell you Jesus loves you. If you don't have a church, you can come here and hang out with us. We're more than uh, willing to be on your team. And so we want to bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may you forever live within your fav- within your within his favor. Those of you who elevate family, the giving link should be on the bottom of the screen. You can give, give online if you feel so inspired and you're not part of this church and you want to give, I command, I, I just tell you, just obey what the Lord is telling you. We bless you in this time, we bless you in this hour, and we honor you. And honor Jesus one more time. God bless you. Amen.